Good morning. Welcome to Peace Church. So glad that you are here this morning. My name is Pastor Daryl Crawford. I get the privilege of being pastor of discipleship and glad you are here and here in the worship center. Those may be in the chapel and watching online, maybe camping this weekend. Um, just welcome. Thank, thankful that you are here with us. If you take your Bibles this morning and you turn to Hebrews chapter 4, we're going to be looking at Hebrews chapter 4. This weekend is Labor Day. Labor Day is a, a time of year where it's kind of called the unofficial end of summer, right? School's already, school begun already. People are getting their last kind of summer little vacations in. But Labor Day is also was created to, to honor the workforce and to have a day of rest. And work, labor, is a good thing. God worked in creating the heavens and the earth. Adam and Eve worked in the garden before the fall, and it was part of God's very good creation. And though, although after the fall, work has its difficulties, it is still a good thing. But so is enjoying the fruit of our labors. So is rest. Resting from our labors and, and taking time to enjoy the work we have done. I have some pictures here. This first picture, I, I, I really wish I could pipe in the smell of fresh cut grass. Because when you have a lawn and it's cut and it's green and there's the landscaping there, to kick back and to enjoy and to look at what you've done, it is satisfying. So next one, maybe your spices have been in, in disarray and you haven't been able to find them. And, and then you go and you, you organize them so nicely and you look at it, it's like you can sit back and enjoy that. I can find the paprika anytime I want it. <laughs> what a beautiful thing. Or you have woodworking tools and you organize them well and you tell the kids don't touch them without asking me because they won't put them back where they're supposed to go. But this is where they go and this is in order and it's good, orderly, and it's there. And you can sit back and look at it and go, ah, that's good. Let's say your kids, they've been been rubbing you the wrong way all day and then all of a sudden they finally go to sleep and you look at them and go, ah, isn't that precious? Your hard work for the day. Or kids, you have a messy room and your mom or dad has been telling you to clean it up and you do all the work and it's no fun and you clean it up the right way. You don't shove the, the toys under the bed and you clean it up the right way and you can look at it and you can say, look at that. I can enjoy my room and rest in there. It is a good thing. Or power washing has its, its the effects. I, I just enjoy power washing. This is a good picture right there. Look at that before and after picture, just enjoying the, the beauty of, of the brick again, not the grunginess of it. You can sit back and enjoy that. And this morning, we are going to look at Sabbath fulfilled, resting in the grace of God and in Christ, and looking at how God had created this world with a day of rest entrenched in the DNA of all of creation, but also a picture of the ultimate rest that we're going to have in Christ now and in the future. And we're going to look at that in the book of Hebrews. The book of Hebrews was written to Christians who were heavenly, heavily influenced by Judaism or, or Jews themselves. And many would be tempted to be swayed by the teachings of Judaism. 
This book, if you've ever read the book of Hebrews, there's so many layers. You, you need to know the Old Testament. It's constantly pointing us back to the Old Testament and the superiority of Jesus Christ over the Old Testament leaders, the superiority of Jesus Christ over the temple with its sacrifices. And our passage today we're going to look at is pointing to our rest now and in the future in the finished work of Jesus Christ. We rest in our faith that Jesus has paid it all. We take time weekly to remember and to rest from, the, from our labors and enjoy them. But ultimately, we look forward to the final rest on the new heavens and the new earth when we will be with God for eternity. Let's look at our Bibles at Hebrews 4, verses 9 through 11. It says this, So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Lord, we come to you this morning. We thank you for the gift of music and how it invites us into your presence by singing of your glorious majesty and the greatness of your salvation, Lord. Lord, as we open your word, be with us. May you fill us with your spirit. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So in looking at this passage, Main thing we can get from this is our rest in God now and in the future sustains us. Our rest in God now and in the future sustains us. We're going to look at this passage. It's three verses, but there's so much here. At the beginning, we have what we want to look at. There is a Sabbath rest now and in the future. And we have a so then. Right here in verse 9, it says, so then. And as students of the Bible, we want to know what this author is talking about. So it's kind of like a therefore. So we need to look back at what the author is getting at here so we can better understand this passage. What the author is pointing back to, he's been talking about for a couple chapters, and we're going to look at this very briefly this morning. You can, on your own time today, if you want, you can read, you read chapters three and four. It, it, they all go together. But in verse chapter 3, verses 7 through 11, uh, the author of Hebrews quotes Psalm 95, the end of Psalm 95, and it says this, Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, this is chapter 3, now in verse 8, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts, as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness, where your fathers put me to the test and saw my works for 40 years. Therefore, I was provoked with that generation and said, They always go astray in their hearts. They have not known my ways. As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. We see in 3.15, it says, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. So the author is, is in the context talking about the, the generation that God had rescued from Egypt out of slavery, and they were in the wilderness. Think and imagine if you were to see God put all those plagues on Egypt, the water turning to blood, the flies, all of those things, the darkness, then the Passover, and your families being rescued. And now these people who had enslaved you for hundreds of years are giving you their goods and saying, just get out of here. We want you gone. Then you travel for a bit and, and you're at the Red Sea and here comes Pharaoh's armies. What do the people do? They go, oh, God's going to get us out of this. No, they complained. Moses, why did you bring us out here in the wilderness to just have us killed? What does God do, though? He parts the Red Sea, and they walk over in dry land. 
Could you imagine standing at Lake Michigan and seeing it part and walking on dry land, the amazingness of that? Do you think it would strengthen your faith? Do you think you could, I could do anything with God. If he says the promises, I can do anything. But not too long after that, they're without water and they start grumbling and complaining and want to go back to Egypt, the place of their enslavement. Before we start casting stones at these people, we should imagine that you're traveling in the wilderness. It's hot. You have all your belongings with you. You have your whole family with you. Maybe the kids, they're grumpy. They've been fighting that day because they don't have any water. You don't have any water. Maybe getting a spat with your spouse. Do you think you'd be tempted to complain about what is going on at that point in time? I think, how many of you complained when the power went out this week for a few hours? I mean, think of that. Now think of being out there. And these people grumbled. And when they got to the promised land that God had promised to give them, they sent in the spies and they said, we cannot take this land. There are giants in the land. There are fortified cities in the land. They did not believe, 10 out of the 12 spies did not believe God's promises and they turned the people against Moses. And God says, this generation will not enter into my rest. They will not go into the promised land. Now the shifting forward a little bit, the author says in verse chapter four, verse seven, it says, again he appoints a certain day today, saying through David, so long afterward, and the words already quoted, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Then verse eight says, for if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. And we come to our verses. So then, there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. One of the things interesting about this passage, the word rest in the Greek that's only used in Hebrews chapters 3 and 4, or there's one other time in the book of Acts that it's used. So this word rest in, in, in Hebrews in the Greek word, it means state of cessation of work or activity. The rest of the times the word rest is used is a different word, which means to cause someone to gain relief from toil. But the interesting part is when we come to verse nine, it uses a completely different word. It uses the word for Sabbath rest. Maybe some of you, if you grew up in the church and you're a little older, this could bring back memories of feeling trapped on Sunday afternoons. Don't worry, we're not going to do that today. As the people of God, though, we can rest now and in the future. It says, so there, then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. We can rest now. Sabbath is found in the creation in Genesis 2 after God created everything and said in six days and said everything is very good. He sat down and he rested. Sabbath is found in the Ten Commandments. It's built into creation in God's law which is written in our hearts. And this is why we take one in seven days to rest. It is a good thing to rest from your labors. Let's take advantage of it. God gave it to us as a gift. Mark 2.27 says this, and he said to them, the Sabbath was made for man, for us to enjoy, not man for the Sabbath. It's built into our DNA. And in doing this and thinking about a seven-day week, why do we have a seven-day week? So I looked a little bit online, found an interesting article, not by Christians by any means, but this is what they say the world would think by who think that the Bible's not true. Why can't we get rid of a seven-day week? The most recent real attempt was to throw out a seven-day week was in 1929 when the USSR changed the calendar to have 72 weeks of five days each. 
The difference was made up with national holidays, so you could have Saturday, Sunday, Labor Day, Monday, Tuesday. Each worker was given one of these days as a rest day in which they didn't work. The system was designed to make for continuous work week at any given moment. 24 hours a day, every day, 80% of the workforce was working. The system proved very frustrating. Most people did not have the same rest day as their spouses or friends or family. The machines broke down for the same reason that New York City subways are always breaking down. When a system works 24 hours a day, every day, there's no real time to repair or maintain them. In 1931, the USSR changed the schedule to a six-day week, which every six-day was a rest day. This proved not much better. And in 1940, the USSR gave it up and went to a seven-day week. Here's an interesting part. There's nothing in particular about a seven-day week that makes it a requirement for anybody to observe it. Seems that the idea took off simply because there was a need for a unit of time somewhere between five and ten days long, and seven was a cool number. What's surprising is that humans haven't come up with anything better. Why not? Well, because God created this world. He created it in six days, and on the seventh day he rested. He ordained that. That is why we can't come up with anything better, because God created this world, and he made it in that way. So we can take one day. And, but uh, this one day also points to the rest in the ultimate Sabbath, the future. The entering in the promised land was not the ultimate Sabbath. There remains a Sabbath rest for us. We have so much more revelation that the people at this time had. We know who Christ is. We know who the Savior is, which gives us even more reason to have faith to rest now and hope for the future of our ultimate rest when we are with God for eternity. So our rest now is a picture of our eternal rest. So take time each week to rest from your labor. Enjoy fellowship with God and have a good time doing it. Doesn't mean that if we're resting that it has to be some laborious, boring time. Enjoy the fruit of your labor. We can also rest from your works because Jesus has finished the job. Verse 10 says, for whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. We, it says, those who have entered, past tense, we, if we are in Christ, we have entered God's rest. We don't work for our salvation. Jesus on the cross said, it is finished. He finished the work. Ephesians 2, 8, 9 says, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. There's anyone here this morning, and you're striving to work to attain your own righteousness. Stop. Turn to Christ and rest in his work. He is the only one who can forgive your sins. He paid the price. He worked for it, and you can rest in him. We can also rest in the assurance that Jesus is always with us, and nothing can separate us from his love. Hebrews 13, five, it talks about Jesus. He will never leave us, nor forsake us. Philippians 4, 6, and 7 talks about that we can have peace in the storm in Jesus Christ that will guard our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. In Matthew 6, 25 through 34, it talks about he will care for us and we do not have to worry. I love these verses here. Jesus in Matthew 11 says this, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. 
Is anyone here this morning going through a difficult time? Sickness, loss of job, just strife in your life, difficult times going on. I just encourage you to rest in Christ, in his goodness, in his grace, and in his mercy. I will say this in my life, when when the times have been the hardest, the grace and peace of Jesus has been the greatest. And you can have that and you can rest in him and he will sustain your souls as you rest in the goodness of God. It says here also that for who has entered God's rest has also has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. God is our ultimate example. He is the standard of rest. When we think of the standard of something, we think of the ultimate, right? You think basketball, you think Michael Jordan, right? The, one of the greatest ever. And that hurts me because I'm a big Pistons fan. And I don't really like Michael Jordan that much, but hey, give him props, give him respect. Michael Jordan, Tom Brady, football, he's a standard, 45 years old, he should have stayed retired, but hey, you know what? Albert Einstein, standard of science. So the standard for rest, the best example, the ultimate example, example is God and how he modeled that for us when he rested from his creation work. I love this quote by Richard Phillips in his Hebrews commentary. It says this, When we say that God rested, we do not mean that he went on vacation or removed his care from our world. The picture is rather after having made an ordered and subdued creation according to his desired plan, his control was so absolute, his sovereignty so unquestioned, that God enthroned himself without effective opposition. His reign is one of rest, that is, of absolute supremacy and unassailable sovereignty. That is the rest that God offers us. We rest in the power of the king of the universe. Think about that for a second. When we rest in God, we put our faith and trust in him and what he tells us to do. We rest in the power of the king of the universe. As children of God, rest is found in him. So Peace Church, realize that Jesus paid it all and that he sustains us during all of life's trials. All of life's trials. Not just some of them, all of life's trials. We can rest assured that our rest is sure. It's interesting what the author does here. So we, we enter the rest, we, we, there's a Sabbath rest, and then it says, let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. It is difficult at times to live by faith, to say, God has told us these things. Here is how we speak the gospel. Here is how we live because it can seem antithetical to how the world is telling us how to live or how maybe we were raised. But we need to strive to stay true to the word of God. We need to have faith that the promises that God has made to us ring true and that they are good and that that is the way that we go forward. This is not an idle rest. We strive to enter that rest. The generation that gave up, they gave up. They did not have faith that God could conquer those cities and those giants. 
They did not have faith that God could continue to sustain them in the wilderness. But there was another generation, there was another couple of guys who did have faith. If you turn with me, I'm gonna turn there, um, I'm gonna read this about Caleb. This is 45 years after God said, hey, 40, you're gonna, this generation's not gonna go in. So Caleb wandered, this is Joshua 14, Caleb wandered the wilderness and watched a whole generation die. That would not be easy. But he continued, listen to his faith. Joshua 14, 6. Then the people of Judah came to Joshua of Gilgal, and Caleb the son of Jephunneh the Kenizzite said to him, you know what the Lord said to Moses, the man of God in Kadesh Barnea concerning you and me. I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to spy out the land. And I brought him word again as it was in my heart. But my brothers who went up with me made the heart of the people melt. Yet I wholly followed the Lord my God. And Moses swore on that day, saying, Surely the land on which your foot is trodden shall be, your, be an inheritance for you and your children forever, because you have wholly followed the Lord my God. And now behold, the Lord has kept me alive, just as he said these 45 years since the time that the Lord spoke his word to Moses, while Israel walked in the wilderness. And now behold, I am this day 85 years old. I am still as strong today as I was the day Moses sent me. My strength now is as my strength was then for war and for going and coming. So now give me this hill country of which the Lord spoke on that day. For you heard on that day how the Anakim, those are the giants, were there with great fortified cities. It may be that the Lord is with me and I shall drive them out just as the Lord said. And Caleb went in and he took those hills. He had faith. He went in there and did it. For those people to go in, it was not easy. Yes, they had faith in the work of God and that he would give them the promised land, but they went to war. These people had to go to war to take this back. And I just want to encourage us, we need to have faith in and live out God's promises in the here and now as well. What God tells us, the church, today. Matthew 16 says, The gates of hell cannot withstand the going forth of the gospel. The gospel will go forth. The enemy cannot stop it. God said that himself. And sometimes we feel like that, that's what's happening. No. The enemy cannot stop it. It may seem in America that some things are going on that are tough, and they are. But you know what? There's other places in the world where the church is exploding. Places like China, Iraq. The church is growing. The gospel will go forth. We see the Great Commission, Matthew 28, 18 through 20. You know, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in, 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 the, in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them all the things that I've taught you. Many times we leave out the beginning and the end of that. And I just want to point this out to us this morning. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. When we go out preaching the gospel and living for the Lord, do you know that we go in the name of Jesus who has all authority and it's been given to him? And then at the end it says, I'm with you always to the end of the age. He's with us. Let's not forget those things. He's, he has all authority and he's with us. We can go forth in confidence, even though it's not going to be easy. Hebrews 12, 28 through 29 says this, 
Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And thus, let us offer God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. We are, it will be difficult times, but take heart. God is winning, even though it doesn't seem like it, and the ultimate victory is his. And even if we don't see the ultimate victory now, in Revelation 14, it says this, And I heard a voice in heaven saying, write this, blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on, blessed indeed, says the Spirit, that they may rest from the labors for their deeds, follow them. Rest. So do not be like this, we should not be like those who fall by the same sort of disobedience, by not believing God's promises. Don't lose heart when the enemy seems way bigger than we are in ourselves. You think of these people, they were, there were fortified cities, there were giants in the land, and this ragtag group of people who had been slaves for hundreds of years was not a trained army equipped to take the land. But God did things like surround Jericho and march around it for seven days, one time. On the seventh day, march around it seven times and blow trumpets and the walls will fall down. It happened. Where we are in our day and age, it seems like we're surrounded by our enemies and they are winning. They seem to be in charge, but we need to remember the promises of God. It's interesting, after verse 11, if you look at verse 12 and 13, it says this, for the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit and joints and of marrow and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him whom we must give account. We have the word of God. We must remember that. We have the word of God. This author here in Hebrews is building up to something in this book. And if we, we go forward, if you continue to read, as, as I did, I was reading, and I'm jump forward, this whole portion is building up to Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11, we know that right as, as the hall of faith. People who believed in the promises of God. And Hebrews 11, one says this, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the convictions of things not seen. When we have faith, we have assurance that when God says he, we, will enter, we have entered his rest and we will enter his rest, it is true. And then the convictions of things not seen. We do not see Jesus. We do not see right now the, the end when he does come back and sets everything right. We do not see that, but we have a conviction. And we go out with conviction and we say, this is how we're going to live because we want to rest in Christ and we know that he's going to come back for us and we will rest with him for eternity. We see that in the end of this chapter where it says, in all these, this is Hebrews eleven thirty nine 39 and 40, and all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised, since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us they should not be made perfect. They knew. There is coming a day where Jesus returns, and we know it will be worth it all. There's an old hymn. We sang some hymns this morning. And this is hymn that the, it says this, it will be worth it all when we see Jesus. Life's trials will seem so small when we see Christ. One glimpse of his dear face, all sorrow will erase. So br bravely run the race till we see Christ. 
If a book was written about our generation, what would we look like? Would we look like that generation that God said will not enter my rest and then wander? Or would we look like Hebrews 11 or like Caleb? We need to pray that God will give us the strength and the faith to be that way. So rest is coming. Be faithful. Put your hope in God's promises. Take a day each week and rest in God and from your labors. I just want to encourage us to do this. Take time to rest from the daily grind and enjoy the fruit of your labors. It will make you a better father, mother, son, daughter, grandparent, employee, church member. It will be better for you. Just because of this, why? Because remember, God created this world and formed the very DNA of mankind. Resting one day in seven is for our good. It's for our good. It's not to be a trial. It's to rejuvenate us. It's to be a picture of what is coming for us. And that therefore we put our faith in the ultimate rest that is coming. We need to work hard for, for God's glory. We need to be making disciples and trusting God's plan and in what he's doing. This morning we get to take a special time and we get to come to the Lord's table together. And when we do this, we take time as the people of God who have entered into his rest and we get to taste and see that the Lord is good. We have a visible sign of his body broken and his blood spilled and that we can rest in Jesus for salvation and comfort in this life. And we look forward to the day when we will be with Jesus face to face and we will eat with him. In Matthew 26, 29 it says, I tell you I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it with you in my Father's kingdom. Do you look forward to that day? Do you? Yeah. This is a day that is an awesome time to look forward to and it sustains us. Jesus did it. Let's look forward and work hard for his glory but take faith that rest in God now and in the future sustains us in every way. Let's pray. Lord, we come to you this morning and Lord, we praise you for your goodness, for your faithfulness, for all that you've done for us. Lord, it is hard to to see sometimes and to know, to rest in you, to see sometimes when things are going so hard and trials and when this world seems to be just in a tailspin. But Lord, we, we have faith in you. Strengthen that. Help us to rest in you, to put our hope in you, and to look to you in every need. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.